This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. This is a very special one. We're talking about Christmas today. Yeah, in our special Christmas episode, we're going to look at what year was Jesus actually born in? What was the star of Bethlehem? Where was Jesus born? And the origins of Christmas traditions. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Really grateful you guys could join us for this episode, this very special episode. Super excited. Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And Merry Christmas to our viewers. We want to give a big thank you to the generosity that our patrons offers us every single, every single month. But, you know, especially this time of Christmas where we're in the spirit of giving, we have a new tier opened up for Christmas this year. And we want to make sure that you're exploring how to get a very special gift from us to you on patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. There you'll be able to see how you can support us and how we could send this gift to you. And a big shout out to all of our social media fans and followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to go visit our website. We have a nice little splash page for Christmas at www.catholictalkshow.com. And when you go there, you'll see every way that you can listen in or view us. And for our viewers on YouTube, be sure to click that subscribe and that bell. Ding, ding, ding. So that you get Silver every bells. Silver bells. Silver bells. Silver bells. Blah, blah, blah. It's Christmas time, so click the subscribe button. <laughs> yeah. Y'all yeah. are crazy. Y'all Christmas <laughs> no, crazy, No, we're look, man. man. We're no, I love this. Yeah, so really... Throughout this year, uh, around Christmas, um, really grateful for everyone who's listened to us in yeah. the past year. And this episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're talking about Christmas, which is the most wonderful time of year. It really is. It really is. And Amen. the reason for Christmas. Besides Lent, the somber, <laughs> somber sacrifice of Lent, which I think is more wonderful, but another episode. Right there. Right there next to it. <laughs> right there. No, but but Christmas is always a, a wonderful time of, of yes, family get-togethers, but even when you, you think about the church, the church is packed and people are coming because it draws you to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And there is truly a special character to the feast day that we are celebrating and the festivities of the season and entering into this time of reflecting on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and how he came to us in the humility of the manger is really important. And to look at some of the specifics that we're going to share in the show can be very helpful for you to celebrate Christmas worthily and well. That's right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, well, what is Christmas? Christmas is obviously the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we covered why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th, last year's episode, and I still contend that December 25th is the right day and the accurate day to celebrate Christ's birth. Now, that's the date. But what year was Jesus actually born in? Was Jesus born in the year one? 
Uh, or what year did Jesus and the, the nativity actually happen? Now, there's a lot of schools of thought out there, there is. regarding when Jesus was born. And I think maybe without <clears throat> thinking too much about it or kind of glazing over it, we would consider like, oh, yeah, he was born, what, at the, at the turn of the, uh, you know. The- See, but there's a, there's a big issue. There is no turn. There's a whole year missing because of a basic calculation error by the, the Catholic monk who set, monk who set the calendar, uh, Dionysus uh, Exegus, uh, Dennis the Short. There's no year zero. Mm. There should be, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't just go from uh, 1999 to 2001. There's a 2000, but we don't have a year zero on the calendar. So that throws off the calculation. It went straight to one. Went straight to one. Went mm. from 1 AD to, I'm one sorry, BC. 1 BC to 1 <coughs> AD. Oh. Well, where'd zero go? There's a whole year missing. So, I mean, right there, fundamentally, that. Well, zero is not a number. So, hey. Well, 2000, you know. And right. one is the loneliest <laughs> number. Negative one day BC to <laughs> right. positive one day AD. <laughs> right. So there's there's that kind of throws it off. Now, dating the, the actual year of the birth of Christ, almost every historian will use the gospel accounts. And most importantly, the the thing that is kind of like the Rosetta Stone of figuring out this is the death of Herod. Because we know that Herod, that our Lord was born, born during the reign of Herod the Great, but Herod also died right around that time. And we, there's two very certain contenders for what year Herod died in, right? Hmm. And pretty much all of the biblical history, so we're, it works back from the death of Herod. So when was um, he, Jesus crucified? When was his ministry? It kind of all goes back to Herod because in those days, that's how time was kept, was in the 12th year of the reign of Tiberius or whatever, right? Mm, so Herod, there's two two schools of thought that Herod either died in 1 BC or in 4 BC, right? So that would mean that Jesus had to have been born before he died. And most historians will say that Jesus was either born in the year 6 or 7 BC, which I think is pretty late, or the year Herod would have died in 1 BC, which would put the birth of Jesus in the year 2 BC. I am of, I'm of the thought that the year 2 BC makes more sense um, when you look at the reign of Pontius Pilate, 26 uh, AD to 36 AD, and then you say, well, he's you know not yet 40, the three years, that traditional 33. If you look at then 1 BC as the actual accurate year, of his birth, that would go right in line with the year 33 and kind of falls in line with all the tradition. And I think it shows that Dionysus Exodus, who set that year 1 BC or 1 AD as the year of the birth, was actually a lot closer than people give him credit for. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. You think so too? I do. I do. I definitely think it's interesting. Well, there's there's a another account that that places his birth even later, like AD, like mm-hmm. you know, five or seven AD. I don't remember off the top of my head, back from my studies in seminary. It it, it gives you a scale like a shotgun blast that there are dates in BC and dates in AD mm-hmm. that try to narrow in on when Jesus died. But I think the the time frame when you, you what we're analyzing is Herod the Great during his period of time is it gives us that narrower when, sense uh, of when yeah. it actually happened right and you know in the Gospels it says when Quirinius of Syria was doing his census and historians have a hard time finding records of that 
Um, but according to most historians, Jesus would have been born, I think the majority think it's 6 BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, just based on that's because then they're basing it that Herod died in 4 BC, so two years before. Um, but I think there's also the school of thought that is moving towards that 1 BC date. So mm. that's when Jesus was born. That was the first Christmas. Bam. So Boom. Black Friday in uh, 1 BC, everyone was out shopping at Target and like, you know. Looking for those deals on the Lego sets and whatnot. <laughs> okay. I don't know what the shopping was like in first century Judea. I just, I don't. So It was a mad rush. I'd imagine. <laughs> Another cool thing, um, you know, at the top of every Christmas tree is a star, right? Absolutely. And that's the star of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. That's what it represents. Um, and looking at... Even what, on the nativity scenes, we had a beautiful little star on top of our nativity scene and... And the, the little star, but you know, yeah. oh, little star of Bethlehem. It's just such a joyful it's and, and part of the whole celebration. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So, what was the star of Bethlehem? I mean, Gospels doesn't really say much about it, except that uh, it was bright. It was bright. Yeah. It, was, mm-hmm. it was a star. But if we're trying to track when this actually occurred, I bet you astronomers have something to say about this. I bet you they do, and yeah. I bet you Brian knows it. I do. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of contenders for what the star of Bethlehem actually was. And most people say that because it was what the Magi were following, the Magi were probably astronomers slash astrologers in the East, like in um, Persia, right? Mm -hmm. Or in Babylon. Mm -hmm. And they saw this astrological sign in the sky that would have meant that the king of uh, Judea, a great king, was being born. So a couple contenders was that, that it was a a confluence of stars of, of Venus and Jupiter um, in, in Leo, right? Yeah. Um, that said, okay, there's this, there's this star formation that happens so infrequently that multiple planets lined up within like a single point in the sky and made this, to astrologers, a really rare occurrence. Um, Is it, it's so, so fitting. it might not be a star. It, it, it might, might be, be a number of... Planets, planets lining up, aligning, and and that would make so much sense, especially in in regards to his birth. But then even considering his death, the solar eclipse of the sun. So it's like that sense of you know like these the planets and the universe and the cosmos reflecting. This is a very important yeah. occurrence. You mm-hmm. can actually back into it if the there is an eclipse of the sun. You can actually back into what that astrological formation would be when that year. What that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, using study to do people have done that actually, because you could take the known um, movement of the stars and the planets and where they appeared and then roll it back to certain dates just using computer software. We need to bring somebody on the show that's like an expert. They did that for Our Lady Guadalupe. Absolutely. Discover the star formations on her, on the Tilma. Right. And they did the same. I love that study. I've read that. They did the same thing for um, the star of Bethlehem. They looked at what are some of these occurrences. So they looked at historical records of perhaps comets, right? Uh, in the Chinese records, um, there were some comets that were in the year six, in the year four BC, that are conjectured to have possibly been the star of Bethlehem. Um, there, but there's this one movie, and I think they did a really good job. It was called, um, what was it called? The Star of Bethlehem. Go figure. Wow. <laughs> Creative titling. But... I may not be able to remember that. Can you say <laughs> it again? It was called The Star of Bethlehem. And what they did is they used this um, this modeling software and rolled back what the sky would have looked like um, cool. during that time. 
And they also used uh, Johannes Kepler's math to calculate a lot of the position of uh, celestial objects. There's some real science going on. And that, according to this, that the Star of Bethlehem was a alignment of Jupiter in retrograde motion over Bethlehem on December 25th. Wow. What's retrograde motion? It means like, because there's very... It the point and then it tips to the other motion? No, because there's a variance in the the length of rotation of planets around the sun, right? So Earth will be going like this around the sun, and then a longer rotation kind of creates these shifts and axis. So it looks like a star goes this way and then stops and goes backwards. That's, yeah, that's what I was trying to say, but not saying it, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Wow. Right. So, um, and then that lines up with the the concept that Herod died in 1 BC, or and then Jesus was born in 2 BC, um, he also picks that his birth would have happened on April 7th, possibly, uh, due to this, an- another alignment of stars. So no one's really sure, but there's that, there's that, um, that documentary out there. It's pretty cool. I encourage everyone to go watch it. I've never yeah. seen it. I've got to look at that. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. cool. Um, let's see here. Now you guys, I know you guys have both been here. Now this is, so we, you the know, birthplace of Jesus. That's it. You that's guys have both been the there. milk. Grotto as well, right around the corner. Beautiful place. It really That's the Church of the Nativity. Yeah. What's your experience being there? Well, one, just the the entrance is the most humble doorway in all churches in and around the world. You you bow down and you literally hunch over and enter the church in a, in a in a posture of of humility. Yeah, um, which I absolutely love. And then you walk through there. There's really not a lot of ornamentation. There's great simplicity, but the solemnity of of the environment is it's palatable. Like it's it, you feel it. I mean, yeah. you, you can sense it with all of your senses. And then the anticipation of coming to the place uh, where everyone reverences in relationship to the birth of Christ is pretty powerful yeah. and, and having that moment, it's like time slows down and, and you have a moment of great a- an action of, of gratitude and an action of reverence. It's, yeah. It was amazing for you me. What about, about for you? Well, you talk about the ornamentation. The, um, when I was there a year ago, they had discovered this highly ornament. Uh, they were, re- they were re- uh, restoring the church, mm-hmm. if you will. And so and nativity uh, or, or the Holy Sepulchre. No, in the nativity, okay. yeah, they they had uh, you know scalpels up, and they were basically doing something to the church they haven't done in centuries. And uh, one of the thing that that they were doing with the floor is they were kind of buffing out this this color, and they found these very ornament ornamental uh, floor coverings that were that were there. So I got to see some of that, and and it appeared to me that they were actually uncovering more of that. So. You know, maybe you went there when it wasn't ornamental, but it looks like they're, mm-hmm. they're starting to process and, that. And ornate in the sense of when you go to these churches in Rome or all throughout Europe, it's like overload oh, of yeah. senses with all of these canvases, all of this gold, all this silver, yeah. and the marble is is fresh and, and yeah. you know, everything, you know, the chairs, the seats, the the pews, you know. There, it's there's literally yeah. nothing, you know, like there, no. there's yeah. there's some there's some things that you can make on the on the walls, but the overall experience is drawing you to this location of reverence, which does have some ornamentation and, and it's like a reliquary, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So we just talked about the star of Bethlehem, but what is that main ornamentation? 
And what is on the spot where Jesus was born? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. a silver star. Like, star. Yeah. You know? And that's where you reference, which is the well, is, that's is where so the, connected. That's where the rock is underneath that yeah. you touch. I mean, it's just like you go to the Holy Land, you're touching rocks. Now, mm -hmm. I, this is where something happened. This now, here, here's something. a crazy story. Now, bear with this. Mm. I'm going to tell you how the star in the chapel of the Nativity led to World War One. What? Yeah. Ooh, la la. Tell us more, Ryan Shue. All right. Say what? So, there at the time, the church in the Nativity was under the control of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. And the Ottoman Empire was going through a pretty massive decline uh, financially and economically and societally. And that means that the Russian Empire, who considered themselves the Third Rome and kind of the safeguard of all Christians in Ottoman lands, was pushing on them and starting to take over their territory. So the Russians went to the Ottomans and said, we want to be formally recognized as the protector of all Christians in the Holy Land, which was an honor that had traditionally been afforded to the, the Franciscans. French and the oh. Franciscans. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, at the time, that star on the spot of the Nativity had a Latin inscription. One of the Orthodox monks stole the star and removed it because they didn't want a Latin claim on that spot. Wow. Well, the French took a warship to Constantinople to the gates of Constantinople and demanded that they be absolutely recognized <laughs> as a protector of the sites and the people of the Holy Land. Mm. The Russians then completely countered, and they fought, now, they fought a war called the Crimean War, right? And the British jumped in, so it was the British and the French against the Russians trying to eat up the remains of the Ottoman Empire, and it all started over this star. Wow. Now, the British and the French pretty badly defeated the Russians and won this war. And that kind of, that battle, that loss in that war ultimately led to the decline of the Russian Empire, which ultimately led to communism, which ultimately led to a lot of the um, problems yeah. of the 20th, 20th century, World War I, uh, with the decline of the Ottoman Empire. So that star, there's so <coughs> many things from that moment, from that monk stealing that star that rippled through history, like the fall of Constantinople to the English, the, the fall and the execution of the Tsars of Russia, World War One, World War Two, communism, all of these things emanated from that one stupid monk stealing that star. Mm. How would you like to be that guy? Oh, <laughs> he's probably a Theophylactus. <laughs> <laughs> nice pool. Man. That was good. What a total Theophylactus. Yeah. That's terrible. Theophylactus. Theophylactus, that's right. <laughs> I, just I never heard that story, man. That's yeah, wild. I'll probably do a podcast on that sometime yeah, just yeah. or find something and share that. But that, I mean, that all of the ways that that rippled throughout history is one of the most unknown stories. And it's so cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Now, what would have been placed on top of that star? What, so that star is where Jesus was born. Well, where, where did Mary put him afterwards? Mm. The manger. There you go. There's a manger right behind it. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to pray there because it was just madhouse in there. This is <sighs> a madhouse. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, there's parts of it. Now, the majority of the manger of Jesus is in Rome. And when we go on our pilgrimage in a few months, which you're all invited Go to Catholic Talk Show forward slash pilgrimage, and you can find out about the pilgrimage that we're going on. It makes a great Christmas present. Um, 
it's at St. Mary Major, the relic of the Holy Crib where Jesus was laid on the first Christmas. Wow. Is in St. Mary Major. And we're going to that church, so we'll have the opportunity to venerate that relic. Is it a crib? It's the wood from the okay. The so wood, they it call it the Holy Crib. In that manger. No, it's they call the relic of the Holy Crib, but it is the wood from that manger. Gotcha. Wow. You ever see that, Padre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's have? no wood in that manger. Mm-hmm. It's just a rock. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of seeing that at St. Mary Major? Yes. Um. It's it's that church is so overwhelmingly beautiful, and it's it's gilded by the the gold from you know the. Uh, the American conquest and, you know, a lot of the gold in that, in that beautiful church. So it's overwhelming and everything draws your attention to the main altar and these beautiful seraphs and these, these uh, angels that are accompanying the altar that then brings your attention to what is underneath the altar in, in a beautiful area of reverence. And people go down the stairs to spend time in prayer. And in that location is where the crib is. Wow. And, and um, it's, it's a beautiful place of great silence and adoration and, and reflecting in the, in the beauty of God. And I think it's fitting that it would be in the major basilica, Santa Maria Maggiore, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a church dedicated to Our Lady. And uh, it's a yeah. really fitting place to have that relic, mm-hmm. for sure. No fights over them taking that? Well, this is in Italy. We have better decorum there. Okay. <laughs> We're not, it's not the uh, Orthodox and the Latin oh, yeah. beef and Yeah. Latin. I mean, even, even, you know, not to change the, the topic, but even at the Holy Sepulchre, there's a bunch of ownership there and it's all very right, complicated. Right. And a lot of that goes back to that star and the, the conflict that led from that. It really <laughs> Gosh, does. dude, that's the, crazy. The status quo, it's crazy. Now, gotta, before we get into the last few topics, um, We've gotten a lot of gifts throughout the year and support, and that's from our supporters and our sponsors of our show. Padre, why don't you tell them about our sponsors? That's right. We want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Exodus 90, as well as Hallow. Exodus 90 is a great program out there for all men considering taking the next step in their faith journey. With other brothers, they spend 90 days living austerely and praying and performing different acts of penance and austerity. Now, I've done this experience Cold showers aren't too bad, and praying through Exodus can only give you a greater sense of an impetus to break through the chains of your own life with other brothers finding greater freedom in the prayer life. We also want to recognize our sponsor, Hallow, a great application that has quickly become the number one prayer app on the App Store. So be sure to check out Hallow, and there you'll find all these beautiful prayers that they've uploaded from daily meditations to rosary to scripture, Lexio Divina, and so much more. These young people were inspired by the applications like Calm that are out there. And this helps people calm down and meditate and center their thoughts. Well, this is a great form of meditative prayer in the Catholic tradition that's being driven through an application. Hallow creates a wonderful sense of our Catholic heritage of prayer and they have just about everything and they're continuing to expand their product as time goes on so be sure to check them out and if you do visit their website and use the promo catholic talk show and you'll get premium contact for for content for 30 days and by using that you'll be able to explore their full capacity of what they're offering so be sure to check out hallow a great app for prayer all right. Thanks for that, Padre. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate our sponsors. So that's a great gift to us. And uh, all those sponsors are giving you guys great gifts. So make sure you take advantage of that. Now, 
One of my favorite things of Christmas is, is setting up the nativity scene. Uh, do you do a nat- uh, nativity scene at your parish? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What's it there's like? A, there, well, this is this will be my first uh, my first time setting yeah. it up. Oh, but it, uh, uh, you know, generous parishioner gave us a beautiful Fontanini scent of of the nativity scene. What's so, a Fontanini scent? It's an Italian. It's, <laughs> it's an Italian sculptor that that is a pretty famous oh, uh, wow. nativity scene that's in a number of churches around the country. Okay. My first parish at Santa Maria del Mar, we had. Uh, we had one of those sets, and it's one of the most beautiful, wow. beautiful ones. And the the child Jesus is just so, so precious, and you know, really, really special. I think of I think of Padre Pio, you know, processing around his church with uh, the baby Jesus during the Christmas homily, showing people, and just the, the convicted look in his eyes as he was he was expressing the gift of this child mm. is something that has burnt into my memory. When I was when I was really young. I always, really young, I always tried to be extra quiet at Christmas Eve mass because I thought the baby Jesus was sleeping in there because they would bring him in there and I was too short to see over everyone. And they bring him in and they put him in there, at, you know, inside the church because it's now, you know, Christmas and baby Jesus is in there. And I'm like, yes, you're being so loud. You're going to wake him up. What are you doing? It's baby Jesus. Come on, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know where the tradition of uh, uh, nativity scenes start with? Oh, the St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, first nativity scene, yeah. The first nativity scene was set up by St. Francis of Assisi in 1223 um, because he wanted to place an emphasis of of Christmas on the worship of Christ instead of gift-giving and materialism. Even back then, the church was fighting this urge towards secularism, right, and partying, whatever. So he really wanted to bring history and the nativity to people's, um, to their mind. And he set up, it was a living nativity scene with actual, you know, live people and animals and um, caused a little bit of um, consternation at first. But then uh, the Pope, Pope Honorius III, who we've talked about on a yeah. Best Pope episodes, yeah. um, said, you know, this is, he gave the blessing for the exhibit. And from there, it spread like wildfire. And within a hundred years, Every single church in Italy had a nativity scene um, at Christmas time. Beautiful. There's a lady in my neighborhood in Nocatee uh, in Ponte Vedra, Florida, and she has 150 nativity scenes from all around the world where she's traveled and where she's visited. She has bought wow. a nativity scene and she has a display every single Christmas to share, you know, of her travels and and these various depictions cool. of the nativity. Um, you know, but what a beautiful tradition. I, I recall this one, this one gentleman that I know, you know, those little houses that people set up at Christmas and they put, they decorate the streets with cotton mm-hmm. and like snow and like they put all the lights up. Well, he, he had this huge table in this one room and he set up all of these, this whole city. And then at the very center of it, put this beautiful nativity scene and, and had a train running around it and everything. I don't think that's historically accurate. I think the train was the there. The train, no? yeah. It was? Boss, the train. Boss. <laughs> <laughs> was that Quirinius's or Herod's train? It was Quirinius's, of course. Of course. Of course. It's got to be. Well, I mean, how else are you going to run a census? Yeah. There's yeah. the astrology that goes into it. Herod was too worried about the aqueducts and, you know, running water and all that <laughs> stuff. That's as one would be when you <laughs> one is a Herod, a Herodian, right? <laughs> Herodian. I mean, everyone knows that. Um, all right, well, so... Christmas is awesome, right? And who, Love wa- it. who wants Christmas to end? No one. Never. No. It should be Christmas in our heart all year long, Padre. 
But when does Christmas actually end? Because it certainly is not December 26th, right? Clearly. Is it an octave? Eight days? On the 12th day of Christmas, Ooh, my uh, true love gave to me. Something. Well, for Vatican II priests. <laughs> 20, 25 days. So there's a, there's a few different ways that people end or, or say Christmas ends, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them are on the Epiphany. old calendar. Old calendar. So... 12 days of Christmas goes up to Epiphany. Yep, but then you can extend it to baptism, baptism of John the that Baptist. That is when, according to the USCCB and our liturgical set schedule, Christmas ends on uh, January 12th uh, for the baptism, uh, the Feast of the Baptism. The 12 days of Christmas end on, um, I'm sorry, go up to Epiphany, and it used to be called Epiphany Tide. The 12 mm-hmm. days of Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the baptism of who? And then of the Jesus. Litur- the litur- oh, I thought he <laughs> was liturgy. presented in the... the well, um, see, now that is traditionally when Christmas ended according to the old calendar, which is on candle mass. Oh. That was his presentation mm-hmm. at the temple, February 2nd. I, yeah, I thought he was baptized during well, when he was an adult with he was. John the Baptist. They didn't do him to baptism back then. Right. So, but that's the end of Christmas. Is that particular feast day? Feast day is his, is his baptism. The feast of the baptism. That's but, weird. But, you know, Epiphany is recalled, you know, because it's, it's the 12 days of Christmas. Then, um, you know, like, so we're celebrating within that sense. And then the whole week of Epiphany that leads up to that following week, which is the, which is the baptism by John in the. Which in would the, have been Christmas tide, then Epiphany tide mm-hmm. after Epiphany. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. So there was there was distinction there mm-hmm. between Christmas tide and but still tied Epiphany. together. Yeah. But then tied the, together. Tied. Hey. Like a boat. Flip. <laughs> um, yeah, but candle mass, uh, that's something that really doesn't get enough uh, devotion because uh, it, it really does. Uh, according to the Jewish tradition, a, a woman would be purified after childbirth, after 40 days and present herself to the temple to become ritually clean again because of the the blood involved in, in birth and the the Jewish aversion um, to blood in a sacramental sense, right? Gotcha. So she would have taken the baby Jesus um, to the temple on, well, 40 days after birth. So 40 days after December 25th is February 2nd, February 2nd or candle yeah. mass, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which not a lot of parishes <clears throat> celebrate. And um, last year at Resurrection, I did, and Good it was job. beautiful. Yeah, you just and put a bunch of candles it. around. Yeah, we yeah. did like a little procession, blessing of the candles, blessing of the candles. Nice, yeah. it was mm-hmm. nice. Simple. I mean, it's really it's simple, but it's it's beautiful. And had a moment of silence and thought, you know, kind of guided a meditation. And it was, it was yeah. Beautiful. So I, you get the uh, Advent. You kind of you know you, you go into some form of light penitential, you know, prayerful time. The expectation of Christ coming. Obviously, uh, Christmas mass. Now you're in Christmas for 12 days. What's the you're feasting for 12 days? Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the some of the most beautiful feast days in the church are are during, are during that, that period that time, of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. Um, Saint Stephen, Saint the Holy Innocents, Saint John. Saint John. Yeah, Joseph or uh, the Holy Family. Holy, yep, Holy Family is in that period of time as Pope well. Sylvester. Yep. At the yeah. the feast of uh, Mary, Mother of the Universe, Mary Queen of the so Universe. So they just jam a bunch Mother of feast of days. In Look, there. that is sweeps week for the church, man. Yeah, yeah. it's that's, that's those powerful, are some, and it's the solemnities too. High feast days, obligatory feast days, and that's awesome. Uh-huh. So I'm of the opinion more Christmas can't be bad. 
Just push it out to December or to uh, February second. Leave your tree up till then. It'll, <laughs> it'll be fine. No one's gonna judge you. Just say, look. Just make sure you water it, especially yeah. if it's real. Yeah. Just yeah. say, look, I'm a traditional Catholic. So if you ever if you leave your tree up and your decorations up and you can't get around to it, just say. I'm I'm leaving my uh, decorations up according to the old calendar. Yeah. Father, Father Tetlow left up his his <clears throat> Christmas tree to Lent when you're <laughs> like, buddy, we got to get oh, that down. Oh, oh, oh. But it wasn't any type of observance. It was just you know like a. Yeah, with uh, with kids, they're getting older now and they can actually help us. But before it was kind of the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, I should have it up. Great. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, that's why I have it up. Yeah. Yeah, I leave I. I leave up my decorations according to the old calendar. So quit judging me. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this was a good year of the Catholic oh, fabulous Fab show. Year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Enjoyed it. I hope you guys have a you know, Merry Christmas, you with your kids and you with your lonely priest life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about celebrating it with family. Um, certainly with some brother priests as well. We're gonna be bringing in a little bit of that Christmas spirit uh, mm-hmm. together during That's the good. during the days. And, um, you know, being with my parish for the first time, which I'm very excited about. Very special. Very special. Very special. It's <laughs> a very special. One of these, one of these years, there's an ancient Arabic uh, Christmas hymn that I absolutely love listening to every single year. Arabic or Aramaic? Arabic. Oh, really? And, and I want to learn it and, and sing it at midnight mass, but it's challenging, but it talks about the Theotokos and you would love, you would love it. Um, I'll share that with you. Awesome. Thank you. But, um, yeah, one of these years I'm going to pr- prepare that and, and sing that uh, by candlelight at, mid- at the midnight mass preceding the celebration of the liturgy. One of these years. Yeah. One of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. The mm-hmm. greatest miracle of the history mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. 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 So everyone out there going to Christmas mass, be nice to the priesters. Look, they only come twice a year. Give them a good example. Maybe they'll come back a little bit more. Um, no reason to be mad at them unless they steal your parking spot in your regular pew, if that's a big thing for you. <laughs> Creasters. <laughs> and from everybody here at, at uh, you know, the Catholic Talk Show, Howard, you know, Ryan, Ryan, Kyle, Kyle Billy, Billy, everybody. Um, Andrew, Alana, mm-hmm. I mean, there's Joanna, there's so many people who help us with the show. My wife, uh, who allows me to sneak away and... Mm-hmm. Watches my the wife. Yeah, my puts, takes on so much burden when I'm gone. Yeah. You know, thanks, thanks for all of them. And um, yeah, and we want to wish you a very, very merry Christmas. And we'll see you in the year 2020. Amen.